Welcome and good morning. Uh, we're so glad you're here today as we continue in our series on heaven. And I've been receiving questions um, from a number of you over the weeks. I really appreciate them, still welcome them. And one of the questions that I've really heard the most is, what will my body be like in heaven? Now, when most of us think about that question, we're probably thinking about some things we'd like to change. Amen? Uh, what would you change? What do you hope will be different that your body will be like when you get to heaven? Now, for me, I would like new eyes. When I was 11, an optometrist told me that my vision was 2200, and I've been wearing contacts ever since. And I am waiting for the day when I can pop those contacts out forever. Right? That would be awesome. But what would it be for you? You know, pretty much every one of us has some physical limitation, some disability that, that we might want to change in heaven. Maybe you're shorter than you would like to be. Maybe you would like straight hair. Maybe your hair is very straight and you wish it was curly. Maybe you wish you had hair. Maybe, maybe it's asthma or arthritis or diabetes. Maybe you struggle with your weight and you long for the battle of the bulge to come to an end, you know. No carbs in heaven. Anybody want to give a witness for that, right? Well, maybe, maybe for you it's actually much more serious. Maybe you struggle with chronic anxiety or depression. Maybe you wake up often and anxiety just consumes your mind and the reality is, the Bible says there will come a day, one day, when you will have no more fear, no more sadness, when you will experience perfect peace and perfect joy. So what is it for you? What would, what would you like to see changed? Uh, today's message is called Heavenly Bodies, and I want to talk about what the Bible says to us, what it teaches us about our resurrection bodies, what God has in store for all of us who believe in his Son. And if you'll open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, we will see that the Apostle Paul in this whole chapter is discussing the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of the resurrection. And he begins with Jesus and his resurrection that first Easter, and then he moves from that to the resurrection one day of Jesus' followers. So now that Christ has been raised with a glorified body, what kind of body can his followers expect in the life to come? And that really is the question Paul is addressing as we begin in verse 35 and 36. He says, but someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So we see right off the bat, there's only one requirement to get a resurrection body, and it is this, you have to be dead. This is where it starts. Now Paul is actually picking up on some teaching of Jesus that we find in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 24, where Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. You know, the Bible's perspective on death is very different than the world. And we're, we're on this side of death, and we are a people who fear death. We do everything we can to avoid it. We want to be here as long as we can. And so we try to eat right, and we exercise because I don't want to die. It's like, it's like we're saying, I want to be here forever. But we need to affirm today, if you are a follower of Christ, you do not need to fear death. 
God's word actually calls Christ followers to embrace it. Because death for us is just the doorway to the resurrection life. The resurrection life that God created you for. He created you for perfection. You go to the beginning of the Bible. That's what the Garden of Eden was. Glorified bodies in a glorified perfect creation. And that is where everything is heading. See, we're not to fear death as followers of Christ. Because it is just the relocation of the same person from one place to another. I mean, think about this. If we didn't die, we would be stuck here on this broken planet with our broken, fallen bodies forever. Does that sound like a good plan? Paul says, don't fear death. It's just the doorway to a new life, to a better life, and it has to happen before you can be transformed. Now, (laughs) I started out, you know, talking about death. I know that's kind of a heavy subject, so I kind of want to lighten things up for a minute, and if you'll you know, go with me on this. You may have heard the story about the, the wife who goes with her doctor, or her husband to the doctor to uh, get a checkup. And after the checkup, the, the husband goes and sits down and the doctor calls the wife into the office and he says, I'm sorry, but I have some really bad news for you. Your husband is under a lot of stress and he's having really severe heart trouble and he is going to die if you don't do the following things. Um, every morning, you need to fix him a hearty, nutritious breakfast. You need to be pleasant at all times around him. For lunch, you need to prepare him a a nutritious meal. Don't burden him with any chores. Just let him rest. Don't nag him ever. Certainly don't tell him your problems. It will only worsen his stress. And most importantly, the doctor said, I want you to make love to your husband several times each week. Now, Now, if you do all these things for the next year, I think there's a real possibility that he will recover completely. Well, on the way home, the husband looks over at his wife and says, so what did the doctor say? And she looked over at him and he said, she said to him, he said you were going to die. (laughs) Well, (laughs) we're all going to die, right? And that's okay. If you're a Christ follower, you have put your faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death is the doorway to new life. You see, a seed doesn't live unless it's buried in the ground. Same thing with our bodies, Paul says. Look what he says in verses 37 and 38. He says, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he is determined, and to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Verse 39, all flesh, Paul says, is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So, Paul is talking about different kinds of bodies, but I want you to focus in on how he compares our physical body here on earth to seed. I I heard uh, recently of a very creative condolence gift. It's called a year of seeds, and basically you get this box, and it has 12 vases inside the box, and inside each vase there are 12 packets of seeds. And, And the idea is that every month for that year after your loved one has passed, 
every month you plant new seeds and it's through that process that you're just being reminded of your loved one's new life in heaven. Now, I don't know if the person who came up with this had 1 Corinthians 15 in mind or not, but this is what Paul is getting at. When a seed goes into the ground, it's buried in the earth. For example, like a sunflower seed. It's small. It's not much to look at. But once it dies, you put it in the ground and you give it some water and it gets some sun and sooner or later it's like, voila, magnificent, incredible blooms come up. Something small in this case because something green and something tall, as, as tall as 10 feet, some of these sunflower plants can grow, bursting with color and bursting with beauty. And this is what Paul's talking about. He's saying what comes out of the ground after it's sown in death looks radically different. Same thing is true about our physical bodies. Paul says the body you have right now is just a seed, and when you die, it will be buried. But one day, when Christ raises it from the ground, it will be radically different. It will be radically transformed. Now, how? How will your body in that day be different? Paul mentions three ways that I want to show you in this chapter, and you can write them down in your notes. He says, first of all, our heavenly bodies will be indestructible. Indestructible. Verse 42, look at that verse. He says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. So your body will no longer be subject to disease, decay, destruction. Our heavenly bodies will be perfect. And won't that be a blessing? I mean, just take a look down your row. Either way, you want to look both ways. You see any perfect bodies? And we all know the answer is no. Because there's only one perfect body in humanity's history, and that is Jesus Christ. And we don't like this. We wrestle with it all the time. But our earthly bodies get tired. Our earthly bodies get old. They eventually wear out. And it doesn't matter all the pains we take to delay it. I mean, we can do Pilates and CrossFit and spin classes. Some of you do hot yoga. We stretch, we lift, we run marathons. But I have some news for you. You cannot outrun this. You're going in the ground, every one of us. And the older you get, the more evidence you see of things breaking down. Am I right? I know a guy whose younger kids asked him, he wasn't really that old, his kids asked him, Daddy, why do you always make a noise when you get up out of the chair? <laughs> and he said, I don't make a noise. And they said, you do. And he started paying attention, and he realized every time he got up, he kind of grunted a little bit. And... And, you know, when you get older, the grunts turn into groans. And then we get older than that, and we develop furniture disease. You know what that is, right? It's when your chest drops into your drawers. <laughs> you get older, and <laughs> what used to be around the poles starts gathering around your equator. Um, and you almost have to laugh about it so you don't cry. I mean, our metabolism slow down. We can't eat whatever we want like we used to. My wife, Dana, is always trying to get me to run more, and I tried running. I didn't like it. And some of you runners are like, you know, Mike, if you just run enough, you will get this runner's high, and you would understand. And I'm not sure exactly what that means, but if puking on yourself and collapsing is <laughs> runner's high, then I was stoned. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's life on this present planet. Our bodies wear out and break down. Things that used to be tight are now hanging loose. And 
we can do our best to stay healthy, but we can't stop it. We can maybe slow it down. And that's all the bad news. The body sown on this side of eternity is perishable, Paul says. It's subject to disease and decay and death. But here's the good news. Because Jesus was raised to an indestructible life, so will you be if you're trusting in him. The body that's sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable, and that means it will last forever. Our heavenly body will not age. It will not get sick. It will not wear out. It will not break down. Your body will be perfect in every way. What exactly will that look like? You know, we've discussed this in earlier messages. Popular culture likes to depict heaven and people in heaven, you know, as having wings and floating floating around like being disembodied spirits. But that's the movies. We know the Bible says that's not reality. And the Bible makes it clear we will have physical bodies. They will be earthy. They will be identifiable as Jesus' uh, resurrected body was. And that's actually the second thing Paul teaches. You can write this down. Our heavenly bodies will be identifiable. Sometimes people ask, will I recognize people? Will I recognize my loved ones? Because there are people who have taught, we're going to go to heaven and nobody's going to know anybody else. You're not going to be you. It's just going to be this kind of nebulous, nameless, floating mass of personages of some kind. That's what people have taught. I've seen some books that say that. The Bible, I don't think, teaches that at all. I, I think you'll be able to recognize people. I think they will recognize you as well. But look what Paul writes In verse 43, he says, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. Now, glory means brilliance, and we don't know exactly what that means. Are we going to have like some kind of brilliant glow when we're up there like maybe Moses did? We, We don't know, but most likely it means our bodies will in some way reflect the brilliance or the glory of Jesus Christ, his resurrected body. I think in Philippians, the apostle Paul gives us a sense of what this means. This is chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies, are you ready? So that they will be like his glorious body. The Bible teaches that your body will have the same properties as Jesus' resurrected body. And so the question becomes, well, what was Jesus' body like after his resurrection? And the truth is, we can answer that. We can go to the Bible and see, after Jesus was raised from the dead, uh, we read at the end of the Gospels, he met, he talked with his disciples, he, he was seen by more than 500 people over a period of 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension to heaven. The Gospels give us several glimpses of Jesus' glorified body. I want to point out some features of that that you can begin to connect to what your life will one day be like. First, we see Jesus' body was physical. It was physical. His body was real. And Jesus went out of his way to prove this to his disciples. In Luke 24, verses 36 to 40, it says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. I'm identifiable, he's saying. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. 
So Jesus intentionally goes out of his way to prove to his disciples that his body was real, that it was physical, that he's not a disembodied ghost. Our resurrected bodies will be material, physical, as real as they are now here on earth. In fact, more real than they are now. They're going to be glorified. Your body will be enhanced to a degree that you've never experienced before. You know, sometimes um, I get asked, Pastor Mike, um, will we eat food in heaven? Uh, this was a question that God asked to me a, a lot um, when I pastored in Chicago by Italian Christians. Um, <laughs> and Pastor Chris Martinez tells me that Hispanic believers want to know this too. And, and really what's being asked is like, okay, if I'm going to have a physical body, will I do physical stuff? And the answer is, of course. I see, as Christ followers, we don't have to guess. We go back to the resurrected body of Jesus. What did Jesus do in his glorified body? And according to Luke 24, verses 41 to 43, Jesus ate food. Jesus ate food. This is what it says. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. So Jesus is just proving a point. In heaven, we'll have physical bodies, eat physical food. But here's the difference. Down here, why do we eat? Well, we eat for nourishment, to stay alive. But in heaven, we're going to get to eat for pleasure. Pleasure. No carbs. Amen? No calories. Anybody want to say, amen? No diets, amen, right, right? I mean, it's going to be like the Garden of Eden, where God said, I give you every good thing for your food. We have it in so many passages. Eat at the banquet table of the king, and there will be no negative side effects. Can you imagine eating just for pleasure? I mean, think about it. In heaven, we're not going to have any of the physical limitations that plague us here on earth. No allergies, no acid reflux, no lactose intolerance. You won't have food to worry about, you know, eating gluten-free, fat-free, sugar-free, flavor-free food. You're not going to have to worry about this. You will eat and feast at the banquet table of God as it was in the Garden of Eden. Eat freely for your enjoyment. You see, the Bible is clear that heaven is real. Jesus' body was real. Jesus ate real food. And then third... We see that Jesus' body was limitless. The Gospels record that Jesus' resurrected body no longer had normal physical limitations. Again, uh, we've already sort of read this, but look at what John says. John 20, this is verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, why does Jesus say, peace be with you? Well, just answer this question for yourself. How would you respond if you're in a room with some people and another person just shows up in the room without coming through the door? You might need a little peace, right? That's not normal. I mean, and so that's kind of why Jesus is always saying to people when he just shows up, peace be with you. Do not fear. See, our bodies in heaven, while physical and real, will lack the limitations we experience on earth. You know, on earth we're bound by the laws of gravity, of time, of space. But our resurrection body in heaven is going to be like Jesus. It's going to be different. We don't know exactly what that means. But maybe we're going to have the ability to travel, to be present in a place just by thinking about it. We don't know how that is going to work out exactly. 
But kind of imagine this. Remember last week we talked about the new Jerusalem, new heaven coming down on the new earth and how it's going to have like a land mass, just the bottom uh, area of uh, just under 2 million square miles. And then some people have calculated it depends on how many feet you get for each floor. They're assuming there will be floors going up for 1,400 miles. It could be as many as 600,000 floors. Maybe there's going to be levels there. We, we don't know. And so sometimes people want to know, are there elevators in heaven? And I think the answer is you won't need them. I think you'll be able just to get around by thinking about where you want to go and you will be there. Our heavenly bodies will be like Jesus, not bound by the physical constraints of this world, capable of moving and appearing without limit. And at the same time, we also see about Jesus' body, number four, his body could be touched. See, the reason Jesus appeared to his disciples behind closed doors was specifically to prove how real that he was to Thomas, who was doubting his resurrection. In verse 27 of John 20, it says, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. I'm going to show you uh, one of my favorite paintings of all time. Uh, this is called The Incredulity of St. Thomas. It's a Caravaggio. And in you, this Italian master's painting, I want you to notice, look closely at the surprise on Thomas's face as Jesus guides his hand into the wound in his side. It's so, so powerful. So powerful. And Jesus does this because Thomas has said, you remember, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my hand in his side. And Jesus says, okay. I mean, Jesus is proving his body could be touched. And notice, notice this, that his body, though limitless, still bears the wounds of crucifixion. And that is so important, so significant. Why? Because it is part of Jesus' glory forever and ever. Those are glory wounds. They will still be there in heaven. And they will always remind us of the depth of Jesus' love and sacrifice for us. And right here, Jesus is reminding Thomas that I was willing to lay down my life for you, Thomas. You know what Thomas's reaction was? Verses 28 and 29, we see, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know what that means? It means you today, you are more blessed than the disciples. Do you believe that? A lot of us think if I could only just have been there with Jesus in the flesh, I get that, but Jesus says, no, we're more blessed. The early followers of Jesus, they got to touch Jesus. They recognized his resurrected body. They confessed him, my Lord and my, my God. But you, if you know him today, you have confessed. You have said, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my God in faith. And because that, this is your future guaranteed by God. See, as a Christ follower, it is important for all of us to make the same confession that Thomas makes, where he says, Jesus is my Lord and my God. And there are some of you here today, and you haven't yet made that confession. Or maybe you have made that confession, but you haven't followed through in obedience to receive baptism. 
you know, just a couple of weeks, we're going to have the blessing that we have at different times throughout the year uh, of witnessing people being baptized. It's going to be at Dr. Powers Park. It's going to be a great celebration. There's going to be men and women, boys and girls who are going to step forward and publicly say, Jesus is my Lord. I have given my life to him. I believe Jesus died for my sins, that that death was for me, that he was raised for my eternal life. You ever wonder why the Bible commands Christians to be baptized? It's a very important symbol. See, when you go under the water, it's a picture of of like you're being buried and you are in that moment identifying with Jesus' death on the cross. It's saying, I'm being buried like him. I'm leaving my sins down there. And then you come up out of the water and it's a symbol like I am raised to new life again like Jesus was raised, washed clean of my sins. And so baptism is where you and I identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We're publicly declaring in baptism, I believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for my salvation. And that's why it's so important that everyone who follows Jesus receive baptism. So I want to make it clear, as we do from time to time, if you're a Christian, you've trusted Jesus, but you haven't been baptized yet. It is important that you take this step as a believer. It's important. Jesus himself was baptized. Jesus commanded us to receive baptism. We also see this in the early church. Acts 2.38 says, and this is the apostle Peter, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It's for everyone. So do you need to be baptized today? If you haven't been baptized, please feel free to talk to me or any one of our pastors. Please feel free to indicate that on your connect card so we can get in touch with you. Just say, I want to be baptized, and we will follow up, and we will help get you the answers that you need to participate in this very important step in following Jesus. So if you're trusting Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation, the Bible teaches that one day your body will be indestructible, that it will be identifiable, and then lastly, Paul says it will be invulnerable. Look at verse 43. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. See, baptism is a symbol of the life of power that is waiting for us in heaven. Many of you know, if you've been here for uh, over the last year, you know that last November 1st, my, my dad died. My dad passed into the new life. And in the final days before his death, one of the things that was so striking was how weak his physical body had become. I mean, no strength at all, no energy. He was struggling to breathe. He could barely stand. In the last couple of days of his life, he couldn't stand at all. But I know that because my dad had given his life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I know that at that moment, early in the morning, on November 1st, that moment that he took his last breath on earth and he closed his eyes for the last time, that he crossed through the door into heaven. I know that in that moment, he was raised in power. Now, what's it like to be raised in power? Now, there are many things (laughs) that we see all the time in this present life that we will not see in heaven. There will be no wheelchairs, no walkers, Heaven will not be ADA compliant. 
There are no ICUs, no oncology units, no ERs, doctors, and there's some of you here today, sorry to let you know, you will be out of a job. <laughs> you will experience the incorruptible life in an invulnerable body, the body that you were designed for. Now just try to grasp, to think, to imagine, what does that mean? Especially for those of us who are living with a physical limitation or a disability right now. Or those of us who love someone who's dealing with something like that. I mean, think what it's going to mean to be raised in power. I mean, think of how paraplegics or those with MS or those with cerebral palsy or those who've only known chronic pain and struggle on this side of eternity. Just think of how they're going to experience this heavenly body, how they will run, how they will jump for joy. I mean, can you imagine the rejoicing in heaven? I think of Johnny Erickson taught us. If you don't know about Johnny, she is a well-known author. She's an activist for the disabled community. And her story is about 50 years ago, as a teenager, she enjoyed riding horses and hiking and playing sports, swimming. But one summer, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay, misjudged the depth of the water, and fractured the fourth and fifth vertebrae, and she became a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the shoulder down. During her first two years of rehabilitation, she experienced all kinds of anger and depression, even suicidal thoughts. She doubted her faith in God. But God worked in Johnny's life. And she began slowly to trust him more, despite everything she was going through. She became an internationally recognized speaker. She has published multiple best-selling books. This picture shows um, something that's unique about her. She learned to paint by holding a paintbrush in her mouth. And she is an internationally recognized artist. Her, her artwork, her paintings, um, the different things that she, she does, uh, which are stunning, sell for thousands of dollars. So what do you think? For someone like Johnny, who's lived for over 50 years as a quadriplegic, what do you think the promise of a heavenly body raised in power means to someone like her? I want you to listen to the words that she wrote in her book, which is called Heaven your real home. I can still hardly believe it. I, with shriveled fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone spinal cord injured like me, or someone who has cerebral palsy, brain injured, or has multiple sclerosis, Imagine this, the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, new hearts and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. We have hope. We have hope. And God will one day give those who are in Christ a resurrected body that was earned by Jesus Christ. And that means, among other things, no matter what you suffer on earth, by comparison, that will be nothing compared to the glory that's waiting for you in heaven. I mean, just remember this. We have 
on this earth, this planet, 70, 80, 90 years maybe. Life is a vapor. But then, then real life begins. Eternal life. Forever and ever and ever and forever after that. And it will look a lot different on this earth. Don't forget that. I mean, it's thank God for that. Again, no tumors, no diabetes, no Down syndrome, no bipolar disorder, no depression, no pills, no special need, no autism or Asperger's in heaven. I mean, those who cannot communicate and talk right now will speak. speak. Do, you know, do you know what that means to a parent whose child is nonverbal? who can't express themselves here on earth, to hear their child speak for the first time, to express their love for them and for their Father in heaven. I mean, can you imagine the joy? I mean, why will we worship in heaven? Because all the wrongs that the curse has brought into this world will now be whole and healed and restored. Sometimes people are asking questions about children, and I'm I want to address that. I'm often asked, well, what about babies? What about children who die before the age of accountability, before they can intellectually understand what Jesus did? What about the mentally handicapped? And the Bible, I think, is clear on this. Concerning the unborn, to to speak of children who have been lost through miscarriage or even abortion, we have it on the authority of Scripture that a child is a person from the moment of conception that God knit them together in their mother's womb. And so whether human parents plan to have a baby or not, God, their Heavenly Father, planned it. And based on that truth, that reality, all unborn children who die for whatever reason will be taken directly to heaven by their father. We get a clue about this in the Old Testament when King David's son died days after he was born. And David grieved for his loss, but then he said, he will not return to me, but I will go to him. And so for those of you who have lost little ones, you can have confidence and hope and trust and know that one day you will see your child again. Our Father has compassion for children. I mean, Scripture says... I don't want even one of them to perish. Jesus said to adults, he said, you must become like a little child if you want to get into the kingdom of heaven. And so when we consider this, I mean, you think that that will be a beautiful reunion to families fractured by loss? I mean, it just brings into the focus the promise of Revelation 21 verses 4 and 5 where it says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. In other words, death itself has died. Or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Do you believe that truth? Is that your hope? See, that's my hope. We are staking everything on this. That heaven is for real. That hope is for real. And that one day, our heavenly reunion with Christ and his people will one day be real too. I want to close this message, just just my heart to yours. Understand something. Put this life in perspective. If you stop ever to think about this, just 100 years from now, such a short span in human history, 100 years from today, no one who is in this room will be alive. Most of us, quite honestly, 
will be forgotten. It's just the way it is. Not one of us will be left. And that just heightens the reality that the decision you make in this life about Jesus will determine your destiny forever. You need to understand that getting into heaven is not determined by wishful or hopeful, hopeful thinking. It is not about doing enough good works to prove I'm a good person. The Bible says it. It's true. None of us are good. And I didn't get an amen on that one. But it's real. It's true. None of us are good. There's only one good, sinless man, and that is the God-man, Jesus Christ, the one who died for your sins. And he says, give me your sin. I will give you eternal life, but you have to trust me. You must confess that I am your Lord. I am your God. I am your Savior. You know, the older I get, I think the more focused my life's mission becomes, I mean, like anyone else, I, I hope to live a long life, but you know what I hope for even more? I hope to see as many of you in heaven as I can. That's what I hope, because that's where Christ is. That's where life is. That's where your life is. That's where your eternity will be, and that is what my life is about, and that is what many of your lives are about as well. I, I don't want any of you to miss what God has planned for you, what he has in store for you, and I am so glad, so glad that life on this earth is not all there is. I mean, even in this week, in our church family, just more examples of people who are going through potentially life-threatening situations, people who are sick, people who are suffering. It's all around us. In this world, there's always much pain, much heartache. But we live, we live as Christians, knowing that one day when Jesus returns from heaven to redeem his children, that every second of suffering will be redeemed. We know one day the curse will be broken. We know one day that you will finally experience the love and the joy and the peace and the perfection that God created you for. But that's only true if you know him. And so let me ask one more time to everyone in this room, have you trusted Jesus Christ for your eternity? Has there been a time in your life when you have said like Thomas, my Lord and my God, you've put aside your doubts. You've put your trust in Jesus. And Jesus tells us so clearly there's only one way to heaven. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you believe that? We've been saying all this series that you were created for a person and a place. Jesus is that person. Heaven is that place. And Jesus is the only path there. He's the only way. You know, this verse also reminds us, the story of Thomas also reminds us that you can be a follower of Christ and still have questions. Just like Thomas did. You have questions. You need to ask Jesus in faith, reveal yourself to me. That's what Thomas did. He said, Jesus, show me yourself. And when Jesus did that, Thomas said, my Lord and my God, I believed. And then he followed Jesus for the rest of his life. We're going to wrap this up in just a second. So as we do, we want to give each person here an opportunity to take that step, even right now. And there are some of you who have been waiting. Maybe you have some doubts and some questions. 
And maybe you're thinking, I have to get all of those answered. And I want to tell you today, no, you do not. You do not. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today. And so I'm asking, will you trust Christ today? Will you give him your life today? Whether you know it or not, if you haven't done that yet, there are people probably in this room who've been praying for you. I will guarantee you there are people who are praying for you even if they don't know you. They are praying right now. Will you take that step today? Will you trust Christ today? You know, as we at Southlands are here and we serve God and we teach God's word and we minister to one another and we minister to our world, we are revealing Jesus. And as we reveal Jesus, the Father is drawing people to Jesus and he is doing that by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so I want to pray, first of all, for those of you who will trust Christ even today that the Holy Spirit would give you courage because this is your moment. This is your moment. Will you bow your heads, please?